If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. So it's the first week of December, and I'm trying to get into the Christmas spirit. Now, liturgically, of course, it's the beginning of Advent, and I'm focused on that from a spiritual standpoint, but I want to feel the the Christmas spirit, the seasonal boost and energy that comes with Christmas and thinking about Christmas coming and just getting into that mood. So uh, every year I go through this exercise and that's to put together my Christmas playlist on my phone, which I carry with me to have my AirPods in when I go walk the dog or whatever. And I want to have some nice Christmas music or when we're around the house in the morning cooking breakfast or in the evening or whatever, I throw the playlist on the Bluetooth speaker and we listen to some Christmas music. And I think, I really want to get into the spirit of this. And so what I do is I go to Apple Music and Spotify. Those are the two music streaming services that I use on my phone and on my iPad or whatever. And I begin to look for Christmas playlists because they have a lot of sort of pre-made playlists. So you'll see like holiday playlists or whatever this time of year. And interestingly, they're all labeled holiday playlists anymore. You don't see any that are labeled at the top of Apple or Spotify as Christmas playlists. It's holiday playlists. So I go through and I drill down and I start looking for them. And as I go through these holiday playlists, what comes up, I mean, there's dozens, hundreds of them, but they're all filled with stuff that's, that's not really about Christmas. It's like super secular. So either you get like the Hot Rod Rudolph or the song about mom making out with Santa Claus or some kind of thing like that or kind of gauzy, nostalgic home for the holiday songs or or something that's ironic, like they're kind of making fun of Santa and the trees are frosty or something, but in some kind of ironic way by some pop star or or you've got, it was funny, I, was, I looked for traditional Christmas playlists and listed under traditional in Spotify and Apple is Feliz Navidad. So that's considered traditional Christmas music at this point. So whatever. But I'm looking for traditional Christmas carols. Okay. Christmas carols. It's Christmas. It's about the nativity, the birth of Jesus. I'm looking for Christmas carols that are about the baby Jesus and the wise men and the shepherds and all of that. I want to listen to nice songs about the nativity that I can hum or sing along with while I'm driving in the car, walking the dog or whatnot, like Old Holy Night and O Little Town of Bethlehem or O Come All Ye Faithful. So here I am once again this week, wading through Apple and Spotify, trying to sort of pick and choose song here and song here and build my own kind of custom playlist, something decent for this year. And You have to enter keywords to find them. Like you have to enter religious Christmas or Catholic Christmas. And finally, you get to a few playlists and lists of songs or albums with some of these kinds of what I would consider traditional carols. Again, traditional, not in the sense of 
Bing Crosby singing White Christmas or Jose, whatever his name is, singing Feliz Navidad, but traditional carols about the nativity. But here's the thing that strikes me is it's just the same relatively short list of carols just redone 27 different times by different artists and arrangements and genres. And so over time, especially the last few years, it's dawned on me that there just aren't that many traditional Christmas carols about the birth of the baby Jesus. After hours of searching over the last several years, I actually compiled a list of all of what I consider to be the traditional popular Christmas carols that I can find. And I'm defining a Christmas carol as basically a song that has three or four verses with rhyme and meter. It's in a traditional arrangement. It's a, and it's about the nativity. It's uh, going to be lyrically and theologically rich and inspiring. It's singable. As you're listening to it, singing along with it, driving your car, walking your dog, whatever, it's singable by congregations and people and groups because it has a melody that you can kind of quickly pick up and remember. And it was written for popular singing and everybody can, again, sing along. That's the whole point of the carol, right? Little children can sing it. We could all go caroling door to door if that was a thing anymore. So anyway, here's the list that I came up with. Now, I may have missed one or two or three, and if so, write me an email at consideringcatholicism at gmail.com, but I had to stretch to get to 20 of these carols, okay, uh, traditional kiss, Christmas carols about the baby Jesus. So here, here's my list, and, and as you get down to the bottom of the list, I think some of them get a little sketchy, and I may have left off one or two, but it, it kind of falls off, in my opinion, after about number 15. These are in no particular order. They're just the order that I popped in my head so and 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 from searching on google and through all these music services and albums here, here i go i've got angels from the realms of glory hark the herald angels sing joy to the world the first noel O little town of bethlehem silent night O holy night O come all ye faithful we three kings angels we have heard on high Away in a manger, do you hear what I hear? In the bleak midwinter, O come, O come, Emmanuel, it came upon a midnight clear. Now, that's 15. And then after that, you get into some others, like 16 I have on here, the holly and the ivy, which I really like. And then 17, I have Coventry Carol, which you've all heard it. That's the Lulu, Lule, Lulu, Lule. But, you know, it's not really singable. And what does Lulu, Lule mean? I know what it means. It's all about, but it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm leaving it on there because everybody recognizes it. Then you have some ones that I think I think are marginal. Like we don't really sing them much anymore. Like Once in Royal David City, uh, Mary Did You Know, which I don't really consider to be a Christmas carol. It's a song, but I don't really love it. And it's not really a carol. It's more of a song, but okay, I'll leave it on there. Then at number 20, I have Good King Wenceslas, which like nobody sings anymore. And it's, it's kind of an inspiring story about this king from Bohemia or something who got martyred, but I don't know. I, I don't really consider much of a Christmas. Carol. And then you've got like, O Tannenbaum, which I, yeah. so anyway, that's it. I mean, that's all I could come up with. 20, maybe, maybe if you stretch 23, 24, two dozen. And let's say that at 
say three minutes each, that's an hour, you know, 20 times three, that's, that's an hour of Christmas carols. Okay. So on my playlist, I've got just one hour of music in endless cycles for a month. Now I've thrown in some others, Ave Maria, this and that, that aren't really Christmas carols. Um, and of course you've got multiple versions of those. So like Silent Night as sung by, as sung by, as sung by, as sung by. But that gets old, right? Like here's Mariah Carey's classic version of this song and here's Bing Crosby singing it and here's the latest country and Western pop singer guy and here's the hip hop version or the Mormon Tabernacle Choir or whatever. But it's still just the same 15, 16, 20, 21 carols and that's it. And so I started asking myself, why? Why are there only 20 carols about the nativity because at one time in the past they wrote singable songs about the nativity right the birth of christ but none of the ones i listed have been written in the last hundred years as far as i can tell name one christmas carol as i've defined it written in the last century so why hasn't anyone written any new christmas carols in like the last one or two hundred years Now, here's the exception. There is some Christmas music written about the birth of the baby Jesus more recently. Because if I go into Apple or Spotify or Amazon or whatever music service, and I enter the word contemporary Christian Christmas, a whole lot of other songs come up. But they're all evangelical praise and worship songs from like Hillsong Worship or Chris Tomlin or something. So it's some song like, if the theme is the wise men came on that starry night, then it's like an endless repetition of the wise men came on the starry night. And then the wise men came on the starry night. And then it's a chorus about the wise men that came on the starry night. And then there's a bridge and then they came starry night, starry night. And it just goes on for nine minutes. And I'm, I'm sorry, it's, it's boring. I, I'm sorry, dear listeners, but I, I became a Catholic partly to escape contemporary praise and worship music because it's just dull and repetitive and kind of mindless now you do have a couple of contemporary christian artists that have written christmas songs people like that i think of maybe 30 40 years ago now, but like michael card and it's it's good stuff but it's singer songwriter stuff it's like listening to james taylor sing a song about christmas or something you can appreciate it and you can appreciate the lyrics but it's like you can't sing along with it I mean, little children with scarves and cups of hot chocolate are not going to go door to door singing Michael Card songs to people. So I'm back to the question, like, what happened? Why hasn't anyone written any decent Christmas carol in the last century or two? Well, this is not the first year that this problem has occurred to me. In fact, last year, I went off on an epic rant about this to my wife. Now, she's a saintly woman, far better person than I am. And she agrees with my basic point, but she doesn't have a lot of sympathy for my inability to build a playlist in my phone because she works in retail. And since Thanksgiving, she hears nothing but an endless loop of Frosty the Snowman and Santa Claus is coming to town and Santa baby. And I saw some mommy kissing Santa Claus or whatever. And she's like, if I have to endure that stuff at work all day, then you can Bear it while you walk the dog. So, last year, in search of a more sympathetic soul, 
I ranted to Corey Lakatos, who is a frequent guest on this show. You, you're familiar with him, I'm sure. And Corey agreed with me, and then he added his own complaints. And so we sort of ratcheted each other up. And, and then, this is all last year, I, I called Ed the Protestant, who's another frequent guest on the show, and he threw gasoline on the bonfire because he's a professional musician, and a Christian musician, and so he, he sort of joined in our outrage at the lack of Christmas carols, and, and, and our outrage began to reach dizzying heights, and I was sort of enjoying it, and I thought, this is great stuff, we should record this. So I got the recording equipment, and the three of us sat around a table, and we kind of went off on it. And, and I recorded that in last Christmas time, last December, I released it as two episodes a year ago called Whatever Happened to Christmas Carols, part one and part two. And I'll put the links to those in the show notes. But because I got so frustrated again this week, walking the dog with my AirPods on, I, I thought, why is, <laughs> why is there only one hour of good, enriching, inspiring, theologically solid music about the nativity and 47,000 hours of Santa Baby and Felice Navidad. So this week I decided to go back and edit the two episodes from last year and sort of splice together the highlights of that conversation because there were a lot of great insights, okay? Ed, as a, Ed the Protestant, as a professional Christian musician, worked in music his whole life, had a lot of really great insights as to why we don't have Christmas carols anymore. And Corey had a lot of really great insights as to how our understanding of Christmas or the way we celebrate Christmas in our culture today has really changed in the last 30, 40 years so that the songs, you know, really don't have a place. So anyway, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share the spliced together highlights with you. And I want you to really listen because there's some great insights in here. So take a listen to this conversation. I hope you gain something from it and build your own playlist of quality Christmas carols to focus you on the gift of Jesus Christ in the celebration of his nativity. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is that the hymn form is just pretty much passed out of the culture. Okay, it's just not there anymore. What, what do you mean by that? The hymn form would be form would mean a four song part, style. The, the right, song right. style, four part harmony, something you can put down on one page of music with the four parts written out. So we're talking only about sixteen or twenty measures worth of. Okay, you know what I now mean? you're talking like technical music stuff. But unpack that a little bit. Help okay. us to understand what is it? What are the essential elements of those? old Christmas carols. Well, they were built on the rules for composing, okay, which which are not terribly familiar to me. I didn't take any college classes or anything, but the four-part harmony has rules for how it's arranged. So four-part harmony, you'll see in a hymn book, in a hymn arrangement, you'll see the soprano and alto on the top and the tenor and the bass on the bottom. There are four parts and there are rules for how they move together, okay? okay. Um, the big rule is no parallel fifths. There you go. That's all I know about. Anyway. Corey, do you understand anything that he's saying? Not really. Okay. Okay. So anyway, but there's a form. Which is just evidence for what he's saying. All right. <laughs> but there's a form for it. And even if you don't know those forms, you, when you hear a well-written hymn in four-part harmony, it's pleasing. Right? You well, like I know it, it when I hear it. <clears throat> right? Okay. So, so then the people who did that well, there was a market for it. Right? People were assembling hymn books and, and it was, you can't make money selling eight hymnals. 
You have to sell them to the right. whole country, okay? You right. were in publishing, right? More about this yes, than me. So when the time came that you could sell hymnals all across the country or sell a song to everybody who publishes a hymnal, then there's monetary... Makes um, it worth it. Draws it out the songwriters, the right. artists, they work on it. And yeah, you're right. So, I mean, so, so that's one thing. Okay. Right, and, just, and just real quick. Okay, so over the last, what, 40, 50 years, we had right. the overhead projector followed right. by the slide projector, followed by the whatever digital, because back in the day, to your point, there were hymnals in the pews. So if you had a church where there were 300 seats or 500, a thousand seats right. in your church, you're buying 500 copies of that book at 1495 or whatever the right. publisher price was. And now you go, well, once we started going down that path and I'm old enough to remember when we were putting them on the overhead projector thing. <laughs> right. Right. And so now there's no, there's no music to sell. There's no, there's no business model Right. For that. Well, this is part of the greater dumbing down of music. So we're not reading notes on a page in church anymore. So the ability to do that has, <clears throat> excuse me, has dropped way off. Okay. And the, the songs that we sing now are being, you only get them from the radio. That's mm. the only place you get them. How does it, or now, of course, whatever the modern radio is, which is Spotify and blah, well, right, blah, but, YouTube, right? Yeah. But okay, so I go to church at the Protestant church. How does my music director find new songs that people can sing? Well, they have to already know them, pretty much, right? Pretty much. I mean, and so the, the words are going to be up front, so it's got to be super simple so that you can catch it the first time around or the second time around. And it's, and there's nobody's going to be reading any notes. So the motivation to write something like that is kind of gone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I have a couple of thoughts based on what you said, Ed. One is kind of parallel to to that is that we don't really have a culture of of popular singing anymore. Right. Um, like you, you have the old stereotype of people going door to door Christmas caroling or people just singing in their homes, um, whether it's hymns or other popular kinds of songs or people singing in pubs or bars or whatnot. We we just don't do that as much anymore um, culturally, and I think that saps away a lot of the demand for something like a hymn because we generally just that that's not on our radar it's not something we we do for fun or just casually and the other thing is that even though there are churches that still have hymnals most catholic churches do because they don't use projectors blessedly e even in that case the the demand for that kind of song has fallen off except at christmas time when we pull out right. the tried and true 15 songs or, or however right. many it is. And, and this isn't universal, of course, but for the most part, people are wanting different kinds of songs. They're, they're wanting just, just things that aren't in that form, as you said. Right. Well, there's no, so, so every Christmas Eve, my wife's family, we all go to a church in town that does a big, big Christmas program. And it's very good. It's very, with a horn section, a big, a big orchestra with violins and a big choir and all that. And everybody playing a horn and everybody singing in the choir, the, the average age is like 90. You know what I mean? <laughs> these are all, these are, there's hardly any kids in this because it's not cool to play the trumpet. Who wants to play the clarinet anymore? There are, and so much has become performance-based, right? So, you know, my son... Uh, and his wife last week went to see Trans-Siberian Orchestra, okay. right? Which right. is this amazing mm -hmm. kind of Christmas concert with 
lasers. Yeah, and, you know, I, I went to it as a teenager. Yeah, yeah, and and it's like kind of a modern sort of Christmas tradition. What Handel's Messiah was to a previous right. generation, I guess, Trans Siberian Orchestra is. And they were here in town, and my son and his wife, and it was pretty cool. They said, "Should we should have gone with them?" And maybe next year we will. But it was. But it's a show. It's a there's spectacle. A, there's a fog right. machine and lasers. Right. It's not participatory. And, right. And, and it's amazing. But again, it's not participatory. We don't engage. And, and I hear what both of you are saying is that there was a time when church music or Christian music or hymnody was something that the people engaged in and they learned to sing, as you said, Corey, in their homes. And Ed, as you said, there were parts and you had sheet music and this cultivated a culture of singing these kinds of songs and not just at Christmas, but all year, right? right? Well, and, and you were talking about people writing these things and if, especially in the age of publishing, that certainly happened, but you go earlier than that and a lot of it bubbled up from the culture, especially the music came from what people were singing at the pub or around the fire at home. It wasn't as if some composer came and said, "Let's, I'm going to write a tune and then write some lyrics to it. Oftentimes it was, we kind of baptize the tune of some a mighty forces. Mighty forces is a German drinking song right. or something. Right? right. But, but even some of those things, right. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, some of those old things are, are, are tunes that had been around and people write other lyrics. Like now, every other contemporary church you go to, they're going to do the Shrek song. The right. Shrek song. Oh, the Hallelujah, like the song, oh, from the, right? Oh, And yeah, they just yeah, like yeah. change the lyrics. Right. And, right. So, I mean, that's that's been going on, I suppose, for thousands of years where popular melodies or whatever get, you know, incorporated. But again, I'm going to come back to, and I'm going to come back to Ed on this. Help us to understand, okay, I get the publishing thing, right? right? So you don't have rooms of writers going, let's crank out hymns, much less hymns about the nativity, how lyrically rich they are because they have four or five verses. Right. And there's like a credible little insights in each of the verses. So one of my favorite lines is in um, a little- A little town of Bethlehem. One of my favorite lines ever is the hopes and fears of all the, the years yeah. are met, met in, in thee tonight. tonight. Or, now that is yeah. just theologically right. rich and imaginative, but that's only just like one line and there's four verses of those insights. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, or, yeah. or think about some of the other ones like- <clears throat> Hark the Herald, like veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, uh, hail right. incarnate deity, pleased with us, with man to dwell. Like, like that's a that's an explication of of like part of the creed. Yeah, well, look at uh, a holy night. Like, was it like the third verse or something like that? Somewhere in there, it's like the slave is now the brother. The slave is our brother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so like in one song that takes you, you know what, four or five right. minutes to sing. There's four or five verses, and each of those verses is full of all of these theological ideas. And what you typically have in praise and worship is you pick one idea. Right. So if this is going to be like the slave is a brother, right? Thing, we're that's that's it. Like you hand you hand that right. to the songwriter and go write me a thing built around the one line, which is right. one theological insight. The slave right. is a brother. And then it's like, the slave is, you could do it, but the slave is a brother. The slave is a brother. And yeah. then you would send a bridge and it's like three verses to just unpack one thought. Right. And so if they do a praise and worship set right. of four songs, you get like four ideas right. in 20 something minutes. Whereas the traditional hymn has four or five. It's much denser. Idea, yeah. yeah, denser in four minutes because each verse is rich. 
So it's like an attention span thing. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, absolutely. like this is, you use the term dumbed down. Right. The, the songs are, this, this is, I, I have to warn you guys, I'm not very far away from a rant I can't stop. Okay, so be, <laughs> let's go easy with me here. Um, but it's getting to be that the songs are all about me. That's what the worship songs are about. They're not about God, mostly. They're about me. And if they are about God, they're about how I, f- I feel about God. And if there's theology in there, it's about how that theology affects me. It's always about me. It always comes back to It's me. interesting you say, I knew you have, ta- and I've talked about this before. So praise and worship song is, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Or I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. Or you, you comfort me, Lord. You comfort me, Lord. But you say right. that I'm always in the lyric. And when I look at the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight, I'm not in that lyric, right? Well, you are, but as a, with everyone else. <laughs> right. <laughs> with, all, with all the rest of the world, right? So, so that, that, and that has to, in order for that to work, there's got to be an emotional appeal, right? What happens is that it's like, it's a, it's a downward spiral. Okay, it's a failure loop that you that they keep getting into, and pretty soon, if you're going to sell a song on the radio, it's got to be emotional, and it's got to be about the person who is singing it or listening to it, right? It's got to be about them, and because that's the only way you're going to sell songs. And I can't comment on it, like Greg, on on the technical level, but just from my experience, you you talk about praise and worship being emotional. To me, it, it has always felt forced emotionally like like i'm they're trying to like manipulate my emotion into into some kind of overwrought right um, expression whereas if you if you have a good hymn that has a, a beautiful melody and you sing lyrics that have deep meaning and are poetically it's a well composed lyric it seems to me that emotions are often going to arise. Like the, right. it's, it's not that it's a, it's a robotic, unemotional event, but it arises naturally from the beauty of the music and from the, the literary beauty of, of yeah, the I, 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 I just want to jump on that because I, I feel that so much. Like when we sing some of those traditional Christmas songs, Christmas carols, there are moments in them that I genuinely will feel like a tear coming to my eye. You know, when you think about the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. I mean, that, that actually just, I mean, I feel inspired by that or i'll feel mm, yep. there's there's moments where you go oh my this is really poignant and and but like you say now we're supposed to feel this it just i don't know and you can't respond emotionally to those heavy lyrics unless you know something about what they're what they mean i mean if you the hopes and fears of all the years are met in need tonight <clears throat> if you don't know anything about this story of salvation well what does that mean you well, gotta you, be that's a great point sure. that you have to understand right so they are expressions of right. they assume the audience has some biblical knowledge. So I'll, I'll put a plug in for the Catholic Church, and it's no charge. <laughs> um, this is what I, I see much more theology being taught just at a rudimentary level. Okay, so I started praying the rosary, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I, I did was I got, I, I had, I, my, my mind was wandering. So I made, I went on the net and pulled in pictures of everything. Yeah. So, and so, so for the, for the, uh, I got a wonderful picture of the announcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just this beam of light and this young woman sitting on a bed, right? Mm-hmm. So th- I look at those things rather than, right? Okay, but I'm, but I'm understanding all of this. And so when you, if, if I'm getting that every week, every day in the rosary, and you're getting it every time you go to mass, you're getting that every time. My experience with the, with Protestant churches has been that you mostly get, uh, you don't get taught that all the time. You have to go to Sunday school to get that. You're not going to get that. You're not going to get that in the church service. And there's an enormous number of Protestants that just really don't understand any of it. We started by talking about why is it that it seems that Christmas carols 
meaning hymns about the nativity, singable hymns about the nativity, have sort of disappeared other than the, these artifacts, the, the 15 standards that just get recycled. So where do we go from here in terms of making Christmas rich for ourselves and our families? I mean, I've got my playlist of the 15 and I can cycle through them in about what, an hour and 10 minutes and then you know, I just hit replay or I, I don't know. Thoughts? I mean, I'm a big, I don't have the technical musical knowledge or training that I wish I had, but I, I'm a big pusher of just singing all the time. Like I sing with my kids when it's Christmas time, we sing Christmas carols. We don't wait to go to church to sing them. Of mm-hmm. course, we do sing them there. But like as, as much as I can, I, I want to make that just a part of our culture. And my hope would be that that can be a small contribution to, to restoring that to the broader culture, at least among Christians. Uh, we, I say we, we need to unplug from popular culture. We need to, to disengage, unhitch the wagon, start doing it our own way. Even, I would say, there's, I could even make a case that popular Christmas carols, the good ones we're talking about, and the, the hymns and stuff, they followed along popular culture back in the late 1800s when you, men were wearing straw hats and playing ukuleles and singing. It, it's, it's not like the music that Handel was making or Mendelssohn. I was just listening to Ave Maria, mm-hmm. you know, and I thought, man, there's just a, it's a thousand miles deep there, right? Yeah. The hymns aren't, like, aren't that deep. That, that's all, I say, sort of tied to and influenced by popular culture. But that would be part of my solution would be to stop looking to culture for, for any cues. You can't yeah. get away from it all. We have to start building our own subculture, our yes. own alternative culture. And really Christians have done that throughout the last couple thousand years at various times in the Roman Empire and other times. We had to build our own culture. And we have been the infamous frog in the kettle or whatever in the boiling water for a long time where the popular culture uh, supported a Christian understanding of Christmas. And it no longer does. Well, I think even that phrase, the holiday season is, is a giveaway because in, instead of like in, in the Christian, the classic liturgical um, calendar of the year, you have a four week season of Advent to prepare for Christmas. And then Christmas is a, a short season that's made up of several important feasts. And instead of that, in popular practice, what you have is during that time when, when Christians would be celebrating Advent, you have this kind of nebulous, poorly defined, it's probably even longer than that really starts in October or something. And people kind of get together and do parties and stuff uh, in a, in a vague sort of way during that whole time. But you're not really, there, there isn't anything, you're not preparing for anything in particular, unless it's just opening presents on Christmas morning, I guess. And there isn't a focus of it. it it's, it's un, undefined um, festivity, I would say. I go back far enough now. You do too, Greg. Almost <laughs> as far. When I was a kid, there was just a general feeling in the world and culture, at least culture in my world, that there were higher things, higher things than just us. Uh, uh, the exact opposite of humanism. Okay, there were there was that feeling in even in the movies from the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, there was that, there's this sort of like this, this latent reverence for, for, for things, for higher things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and you talked about worship music becoming uh, sort of egocentric. It's all about yeah. the person who's singing it. I, I think there's a connection there is that that culture that you're talking about is focused on the transcendent. It's on yeah. things that are that are above and higher than us, and most especially on on God. And when you lose a sense of transcendence, you devolve to egocentrism, and it's all about us. Yeah, well said. That that yeah, exactly what I was thinking. I would say that that we have lost uh, Christendom mm-hmm. out of our culture. Okay, mm-hmm. even the there was this the, the larger world of people who even if they didn't believe or practice Christianity, they respected it and they showed reverence for it and they understood it to be the glue 
that held society together. To even use the word Christendom anymore, it's almost like a laugh line, right? Like, right. C- can you talk about Christendom as a construct or a concept without it sort of just being kind of like a snicker anymore or an incomprehensible thing anymore? I don't know, and people can and will argue forever about whether America was a truly Christian nation or whether it was more of a Christian friendly nation. But what you can say is that the, the, the entertainment culture, the, the, the government culture, the, the, sort of, the, the sort of cultural institutions were at least friendly to Christianity up until 30, 40 a couple yeah. of generations ago, there was a base understanding that Christmas was Christmas. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so, right. So we can straight up say here, let's go back. And I don't know, Corey, when you're like consciousness, like awareness, like how are your early memories were like or whatever. Mid nineties. Yeah. But see, cause I remember still, it was called Christmas and even the schools would say, we're going to have Christmas break. And mm-hmm. it was a Chris and the TV show would be a Christmas special or an, somebody put out a Christmas album and it was still Christmas. And it was Christmas cards and whatever. And a Christmas sale at the store. And you had nativity scenes everywhere. Right, so at the city hall and when public, all the way, then you'd have the little, the little statues of the wise men and the sheep and everything, and the little manger, and here's the little baby Jesus, and this was like a thing, and nobody blinked that the reason that we were having this holiday break or all of these holidays was that it was Christmas, and Christmas was about the baby Jesus. Now, how many people? for whom Jesus was their personal Lord and Savior, Didn't I don't know. to them, sure. But at least we understood that the whole point of this was Christmas and nativity. That's, that's gone. Well, I think it was during my, my childhood that, that that battle was really fought, kind of around the turn of the century, turn of the millennium, because I remember all of that um, sort of culture war stuff about people getting really upset about the introduction of happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas and, and all of that. So it, it, it's not that long ago from a broader perspective that we hit a sort of tipping point where enough people in American society either had no attached no real importance to the Christian faith and to what Christmas was about or became actively against it. And, and we're past that. We're rolling down the other side of the hill. Now we were, we were, we're, that ship has sailed. This is within a generation. I think that's one of the things that's so striking is once it started to fall apart, it fell apart really fast. And it really unraveled to the point today that I, th- I think you can get sued if you put a nativity scene right. in certain places and you can get, so you have this sense that the full power of the tech companies and the, whatever you want to call it, the, the deep state and everything else that you, is just basically arrayed against um, Christian expression and Christian doctrine. And it has been shoved out of the public square, off the public airwaves, out of everywhere, so that we can, we're allowed to, to talk about it in private, but it's no longer a part of our public consciousness. Right. And it's become the holiday season. Well, right. And it's, and it's really about what you can market and sell to people. It, it's, it's a matter of mammon, essentially. And, and nothing sells like nostalgia. And so I think a lot of what you have in sort of Christmas or holiday culture right now is, is just repackaging people's childhood nostalgia and selling them their childhood experience again. 
interesting. Unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, even when I was growing up, like my, my parents had like, and this was before their time. So they were probably experiencing their, their parents, my grandparents' childhood Christmas, but it was all like the Frank Sinatra and the Elvis Presley Christmas. Well, it was tapes then, but originally would have been records. And then like you have all, all of that sixties stuff, the frosty, the snowman and the Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer. And, and, and that's endlessly resold and promoted to people. And then, and then my my generation that grew up in the 90s or the early 2000s is is now an adult and and our prime market for people selling things and so now they're they're simply selling us the things we remember from the 90s even if it's the schlocky Mariah Carey stuff or yeah, whatever. Right. right i mean but it's recycling that stuff and the other thing that strikes me that it's all about today is they've tried to reposition it like to give a purpose to the holiday season and so you go okay what well, can't be religious Right, we can't. It's it's a holiday season, but we can't name the holiday right. or holidays that it's based on. And plus, it's ecumenical. So many faiths, and we have obviously Christmas, and we have Hanukkah, and we have whatever Muslim holiday is, and then we have it's certainly it's there's some kind of satanic feast day or whatever or druidic thing or whatever crazy thing it is. So it, it, we can't actually reference any of that. So it's almost like they're looking for some reason for the holiday season. And what I I've started to observe in the last number of years is it's being repackaged as family get together time. Mm -hmm. So the purpose of the holidays is to get together with your family. And so if you look at commercials about the holiday season, it's all like relatives are going to come and we're going to give each other presents and eat food. And so now that was, of course, that always was a part of it, but that wasn't the primary reason. And that's something that you can sell because, right? So you sell the recipes, you sell the food, you sell the gifts, you sell the this. You You sell sell a lot of things that are just sold on association with that. Yeah. The plane travel, this, and it's, it has this kind of gauzy gooey feel. So there's now this is the time of year where like top tier ad agencies put out for whatever company, these really slick tearjerker kind of commercials where there's the guy who comes home to his grandkids or something or whatever. The girl comes home from college or something and everybody gathers together and has a Coke and a smile or whatever the heck it is. But now instead of being the nativity of the Lord, it's basically family travel, get together holiday. No, I, I think you're right. I think there's an awful lot of that. There's also a lot of stuff that's even a step down from that, which is, is merely selling things or creating an ambience around the holiday that's based on just like general winter coziness and right. and, and like curl up with a Coke or a tea or whatever, right. whatever in your cozy sweater. And, and, and it's all very individualistic, which I think is, is part of, especially like my generation and younger is starting to react a- against that gauzy um, image of like the family gathering and, and doesn't have as much time for that as, as sort of individualism creeps to its, its ultimate low point. And so a, a lot of stuff I think for Christmas is marketed is basically just winter festival and do it how you want to do it and just make yourself comfortable and ride out December. There's just, I mean, there's just nothing underneath any of that. So you're going to, you're going to wrap uh, up in a cozy blanket with a cup of coffee or, or a hot chocolate. And then what are you going to think about mm-hmm. the coffee, the chocolate and the blanket? What do you, where does it, you, you can just, you can draw. I suppose, I suppose that from the most ancient times of ancient, ancientism, right? 
the seasonal, the seasons, humans just celebrated the seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's summer and it's the middle of summer, right? So you have your your solstices and your equinoxes, right? right so right, right. it's middle of summer, it's kind of midsummer, and then yeah, it's there's something midwinter, natural, natural and, you know, about that. Right, so what it seems to me that is that this has devolved. And I mean, you could say at the other end that the 4th of July, I don't know even know how patriotic that is anymore about America. It's just become the midsummer festival. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's not, Fourth of July doesn't coincide exactly with the, the solstice, but it's around that time close and enough. close enough. And it's sort of like, it's the middle of summer and now we have the middle of winter. And then we have the, the, the sort of warm fall yeah, Halloween. Time. Yeah. yeah. And then we have kind of like Easter has become kind of like a spring break, springtime right. thing. And so, and in some sense, it's a regression to earlier ancient, I mean, in some, I, it's, it's like the paganization of Christendom or the devol- mm-hmm. devolution of that to, to Western civilization is now devolved back to basically just seasonal festivals. And this is a seasonal festival where it's snowy or it's cold or it's the sure thing. Like you say, you, you curl up with whatever and or your friends gather and you just kind of enjoy the midwinter and you start planning the year ahead. And, and that's happy holiday. Right. Happy winter holiday. I found a quote. <clears throat> uh, Arguably, the most challenging thing in this age is to be a Christian. Your enemies control the commanding heights of Western society. It's a good reminder that all moral frameworks must stand alone. In the case of Christianity, it means the logic of the faith must stand outside of and be opposed to the prevailing orthodoxy. Christianity now finds itself where it started Welcome to the new Rome. Uh, I think that's spot on. Well, yeah, and I think this is where we're able to to sort of refocus on this is considering Catholicism is because the the advice that the leaders of the church gave to their flocks at that time relative to to this was draw back from those pagan celebrations from from the the arena or the the theater or the bacchanalia that's going on at various times. Draw back from that. Focus on the liturgy of the church and the festivals of the church. And all of that, which is focused on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when you have to stand against the the pagan society and its demands on you, do so, even if it's unto death. You were talking about martyrs. So let's kind of wrap up with a quick little roundtable. What do we do to restore the nativity to the center of the Happy holiday season. Corey? I mean, contra what we've been doing for the last however many minutes, I think you can't start by just complaining about everybody else. You just have to do it yourself. The way you celebrate Christmas in your home and in your parish, align it with, with what we've been saying, and, and it goes from there. I, I totally agree, Corey. Stand firm, right? And, and take your stand and don't be swayed and be salt, be salt and light. Yeah, and I would say if there's a positive thing about the consumer society that we have today is that we do have a lot of choices, okay? So on the one hand, we can say that, that there, this isn't a time where quality music or quality writing or quality whatever is at the top of the, the marketplace, but there's a lot out there and more than ever before. Two minutes on the internet will get you an, a huge amount of of really solid Christian Catholic content. And I think that we have to just choose to be consumers of good stuff 
yeah. because it is out mm. there and you can find it. Right. And you can choose to consume that instead of other things. And so that puts the choice back on us. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that conversation. If you had listened to the episodes last year, then it was a little bit of a redo. But if you never heard them in the first place, then I, I think I hope that was valuable to you. Hey, again, build your own playlist, put quality stuff on it, and let's pray that somebody writes some new quality Christmas carols soon. In the meantime, would you like and review the podcast? Go to Apple Podcasts if you have access to that, or to our website, consideringcatholicism.com, and please write a review. The ones on Apple Podcast move the algorithms for raising us in search more than, for whatever reason, than uh, reviews in other places. But your reviews really help. We're trying to grow the visibility. And also, I've got some Advent videos up that I did last week. I'm going to be posting some a new set of Advent videos and some other videos in the next week. So go to our YouTube channel, consideringcatholicism.com, and check out those videos. And please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can begin building a presence there. And again, go to the website, check it out, leave me a message there, email me with your comments or your questions, consideringcatholicism at gmail.com. And would you prayerfully consider supporting this podcast? Keep it going in this new year and hopefully even expand it and grow it so we can reach more people and let them know about the richness of Catholicism and hopefully they'll consider it and enter the church. So God bless you. We'll talk soon. 